I'm gonna talk tonight about the spirit of offense. That's my assignment. I wanna talk tonight about the spirit of offense. Now, before I get into this, I'm not talking about an evil spirit. I'm talking about your spirit. And your spirit may not be evil, but it still may be offended. So I'm not talking about, I realize there's evil spirits, but I'm not talking about that you have something attached to you that I need to cast out tonight. I'm not talking about that. Maybe you do, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is your spirit, a fly in your ointment. What I'm talking about is you, you are spiritual, you are holy, but you may still be harboring anger, unforgiveness, resentment inside of you, and that is always going to limit what God can do in you until, you, until he finishes his work. Let's start in the book of Luke chapter 17. And this should excite everybody, this first passage should excite everybody because it says in Luke 17 verse one, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. So all right, you're in good company tonight. Everybody say it's impossible not to get offended. So I wanna see the hand of everybody that's ever been offended. The rest of you are liars and I want you to come to the altar first, all right? Everybody in this room has been offended, all right? And uh, so that's a joke, but it's also true. Everyone in this room has been offended and everyone in this room is going to get offended because it's impossible. Everybody say impossible. It's impossible that offenses will come. It's going to happen. So it's not a matter of will I get offended. It's a matter of what am I going to do when I get offended? How am I going to handle the offenses in my life? Because you are going to get offended. All right, so then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through, through whom they do come, not to whom they who do come, but through whom they do come. So he's not talking about you getting offended. He's talking about because you're offended, now you're offending other people. So he says, it's one thing for you to get hurt, but when you never get healed, then you start hurting other people around you. You start speaking rudely. You start unforgiving. You start practicing unforgiveness. You start gossiping. You start judging. You start pointing fingers at other people. He says, woe to the person that's doing that. He said, it's one thing for you to get offended, but it's even worse for you to be the one who's causing the offense. He said, it'd be better to have a, I'll just use today's vernacular, a washing machine, not a millstone. We don't use those anymore. A, a washing machine or a refrigerator tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than to offend the little ones. Because here's what happens. When good, honest, loving, Christian, anointed people get offended and they start offending others, the young ones get hurt. Then baby Christians are the ones that get hurt. And God says, it would be better for you to just not be around than to start offending all of the new Christians that, you're, that we're supposed to be covering and protecting and taking care of. So that's what he's talking about in this passage. He said, take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. How I many you know that's harder to, to do than to read? I mean, that's a tough assignment. You mean he offends me seven times, and every time he says, I'm sorry, and I have to forgive him seven times? How many of you are, I mean, don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you think you can forgive the same person seven times a day? Maybe you've had to, but that's hard to do. 
God doesn't want, God is not telling you to forgive them because they deserve it. A lot of people that you have to forgive don't deserve it. A lot of people that you have to give are never going to say thank you. You may, you may not have an Oprah Winfrey reunion. You may not get one of those lovey-dovey, you know, hallmark moments out of it. You may have to forgive somebody that still hates you, still despises you, still talks about you. You may have to go lay a letter on a grave of someone who died hating you just to cleanse your heart. The issue here is not who they are and what they did and what they deserve. The issue is God wants to use you and he has to get that out of your heart in order for him to be able to use you. So that's the issue. So when you look at this, we're talking about three types of offenses. We're talking about people that have been offended by someone. We're talking about now people that offend other people. And now we're talking about people that keep offending other people because they cannot get unforgiveness out of their life. Well, I'll be honest with you. It feels to me like the whole world's offended right now. Let's just be honest. I mean, everywhere you look, people are offended. Everybody gets offended. The Republicans are offended and the Democrats are offended. Men get offended and women get offended and millennials get offended and baby boomers get offended. The atheists are offended. If you say anything about creation or Jesus, the Muslims get offended, the Jews get offended, the Christians get offended, the neighborhood gets offended. I mean, you get offended in traffic, don't you? I mean, let's just be honest. We all get a little offended. Try driving in Los Angeles or New York City one time. I promise you, you'll get offended. If that don't work, go to Rome, Italy. You can't even get a license if you can't say 10 cuss words in two seconds. You can't even get a license there without that. I mean, you'll get flipped off so many times and yelled and screamed at so many times driving through Rome, Italy, that I promise you, if you have any ounce of offense, you will get offended. So offenses are gonna come. I mean, everybody seems to get offended. I feel like half the people on social media is offended. I don't even know why they get on social media because it's like they don't like anybody on there and they're just waiting to pounce on somebody. And it's like they really get an opinion on what you had for dinner. Really, they get an opinion on that and they don't like your picture so they talk about your children. Really, I mean, who gets an opinion? I mean, I feel like the most opinionated people in the world just like, just like camp out there looking to offend people. Well, everybody's been, even the vegetarians are offended. It's no joke. I read this, I read this in the New York Times article dated 12, 12, 4, 2018. It says that the vegans and the vegetarians are rallying now to get some metaphors changed because they are offended. They want to replace things like bring home the bacon with bring home the broccoli. It's in that article, just go read it, it's right there. They wanna replace phrases like you're beating a dead horse with you're feeding a fed horse. Now that doesn't even make sense to me, but that's what they're asking. These are activist groups that are so radical that they camp outside. Now they chose to do this in Texas, which means they probably got shot at. They went to a Texas, a Texas steakhouse and they played loud uh, recordings of animals being slaughtered as people walked in the steakhouse. Of course they got arrested in Texas. That's cattle country. You're gonna get arrested. They were offended, so they decided because I'm offended, you need to be offended, and that's what happens. If you're offended, you end up offending everybody else around you that gets offended even if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. 
the Twitter crowd's offended, the Facebook crowd's offended. And I promise you, you don't have to do very much anymore to TikTok somebody right off. It doesn't even, I mean, it doesn't even take much at all. There's people just looking to get offended, and they're already offended, so no matter what you do, you're in a no-win situation with a lot of people. No matter what you say, it's going to offend them. Everybody gets offended. So what do we do with this? How do we deal with this as the body of Christ in a world where everybody's offended? How do we deal with this? Well, one of the things you need to understand is that it's one of the signs of the time. It's one of the things that the Bible said would happen as an indication that Jesus is about to return. Now, if you go to Matthew 24, most of the time when you're reading Matthew 24, your mind automatically goes to wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes, tribulation on the earth. But read verse 10. Verse 10 says of Matthew 24 that one of the signs of the time is that people will betray one another and everybody will get offended. How many of you think that's, that's where we're at? We've seen the wars, the rumors of wars that happens every day on our news. We've seen the famine, the pestilence. We've seen the earthquakes. We've seen everything. And now we're seeing an era of time where everyone is easily offended, which is part of the Matthew 24 teaching that we're in. So because of that, because we're in this season, we're in this era, we have to decide how to handle this as the body of Christ. The first thing I want you to understand is this. There's a difference in someone offending you and you being offended. That's the first thing you need to understand. There's a difference in an offense and you actually getting offended from the offense. There's a difference in someone saying the wrong thing and you reacting or you not reacting. It's hard to look at people who are lying on you and cursing you and accusing you. It's so hard to look at people like that and not let some kind of anger build up. And you may feel it, but if you leave it there, it's dangerous. If you leave it there, it's toxic. If you get offended and you don't deal with it, after a while, it becomes a part of your personality. It becomes a part of your nature. So Offense is the event, but offended is a decision. Now think about that. Offense is an event. Offended is a decision. I have to decide, am I gonna carry this around? Am I gonna act this out? Or am I gonna forgive them and move on? Am I gonna cleanse my heart? cleanse my mouth? Am I going to cleanse my spirit? Or am I going to let this thing hang out with me all the time and ruin my attitude and ruin my relationships around me? It's a decision at that point. So I have a few questions before I really get into the meat of this, and I'm still just kind of giving you the foundation. Um, I have a few questions for you. Here's the first one. You don't have to answer this out loud. As a matter of fact, I, I highly suggest you don't. How much does it take for you to get offended? You're the only one that can answer that. If you are easily offended, it tells me you have some real anger in you you've never dealt with. And it could have been there your whole life if you're easily offended. If you're easily offended, it tells me that you have some deep insecurity issues that you have never dealt with. And you need to deal with them because that's why you're easily offended. So what level are you? Are you at a one or are you at a 10? You know, it takes a lot to offend me. I know some people that say, you can't offend me. 
They're, they have come so far with the Lord, they say, no matter what you say, I'm gonna love you. I heard Dan Moeller say that. I heard him say, listen, I'm gonna love you. It may hurt me, but I'm gonna love you because I've chosen that I'm not gonna live in offense because God cannot use me. It offends the heart of God if he has to use me as an unclean vessel. So you have to also answer this question. What are you willing to lose to keep your offense? Because I promise you, you will lose something. You will lose friendships. You will lose, you will lose treasure. You will lose your reputation. You will lose your joy. You will lose your peace. What are you, you might even lose your job. How many of you know people get fired for bad attitudes all the time? What are you willing to lose to hang on to your fence? And how many seasons are you willing to give up over a fence? Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you and God bless you. And may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. Let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 50. It's the story of Joseph. Um, in, the, in verse 19, it says, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. This is when his brothers came before him. He had the power to kill all of them because he's the second in command in Egypt now. He said, do, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many alive. Now, let me explain what that actually means. First of all, he said, you think I'm gonna kill you, but am I in, I know we, we misread that because it's a question mark. He's not saying I am in the place of God. He's saying, am I like, are you saying that I am a God, that I have the power to kill you? No, what has happened though, is that what you meant for evil, God chose not only to turn it for my good, but to use it. God chose me to go through some pain so that many people could be saved. Now, we don't get that in the book of Genesis. We do not get, I mean, we, we can shout all the way from the pit to the palace. We can do all of that. From the pit to the prison to the palace, and that's the story of Joseph. But we don't get that until we read the Psalms, and we read what, and, and I'll read that to you later, but we, but we don't get that until we read what David wrote about him and talked about how God chose him to go through this pain because he needed a man in a position to save the children of Israel. How many people are assigned to be free when you get free? How many people are waiting on you to heal so they can heal? Could it be that some of the things you're blaming on the devil and some of the things you're blaming on other people could be God saying, I want to toughen you up.
I want to strengthen you because I need a warrior like you. And I don't know where else to find one. I've seen your fortitude. I've seen the power of prayer in you. I've seen even your stubbornness, and I need that. I need somebody strong. And the only way you're going to come through this is to go through a little bit of pain because that pain is going to teach you how to quote the scripture. That pain is going to keep you, is going to keep you close. That pain is going to teach you how to pray. That pain is going to show you how to fast. I want to tell you something. You may not fast, but if your family goes through something, you'll push back the plate and nobody has to call a fast. You'll do it to get a hold of God. You go through a real battle. It will do more than put you on your knees. It will put you right in the lap of the Almighty. What if God chooses people like Joseph to say, I know it's going to hurt, baby, and I'm so sorry it's hurting you now, but what you don't know is there's going to be a thousand people who will never have to go what you're going through now because you're going to have a testimony that's going to set them free. You're going to write a book that's going to set them free. You're going to have an anointing that breaks yokes of bondage. If you can just get through this, there's thousands of people that will be saved because you, God, healed. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Paul and Silas in the jail. And when they were in the jail, the Bible says the prisoners were listening. The prisoners were all put there because of crimes. They were put there for preaching the gospel. But the Bible says the prisoners were listening. And then when the chains fell off of Paul and Silas, it fell off of every person in the jail. Every single person's cell flew open. Every single fetter fell off because they were listening. Because Paul and, and Paul said, listen, it's worth a little beating on my back to birth the church of Philippi. I'll go to this Philippian jail. If Paul had not had his back beaten, I hate that his back was beaten. But if Paul had not had his back beaten and thrown in that Philippian jail, that night he baptized the Philippian jailer and the Philippian jailer's family started the church of Philippi. And today you can say, I can do all things through Christ who's strengthens me from the book of Philippians because Paul had his back beaten. Maybe your pain is not about you, but you're so focused on yourself, you can't see any higher purpose. You're so focused on what you're going through that you're draining everyone around you, pulling them into the tube because you don't realize that where that you may be in a place that God has ordained to help you become who he wants you to become. I, wanted to, I have never met one anointed man or woman of God that does not have a story of brokenness, that does not have a story of betrayal. And can I tell you that many of these people, I've heard guys like T.D. Jakes preach before, and he said, all you know is who I am now, but you didn't see me when I was laying in a fetal position and asking God to take my life because I was so depressed. Every man and woman of God that I know, I saw the papers assassinate Joyce Meyer. I was her neighbor. She was just right down the street from us. I drove by her office every day. I saw what the St. Louis newspapers tried to do to destroy her. And the very next year, she had the greatest year she had ever had in her life. She did not want to come through the pain, but when she got through the pain, God blessed her and she has been used to set people free. 
You know, you can't hear Joyce Meyer preach without her talking about how she was raped over and over and over again by her father. She could have allowed that to destroy her, but instead she's allowed that to become her, her pain has turned into power. She has allowed that to become her anointing. And how many tens or hundreds of thousands of women and men have been healed because Joyce Meyer said, I will not sit down until until I die, but I will get up and give the devil his due. I will turn it back on him. What you meant for harm, God is gonna turn for good, hallelujah. So when Joseph had to go through his issues, he had to go through several things, and I'm, not, I'm only gonna hit these very, very lightly. I'm, I could preach a sermon on every one of them. The first thing was rejection and betrayal, and you know who did it? His brothers. His brothers sold him into slavery. His own flesh and blood, his brothers. Nothing hurts worse than the wound of a friend. Nothing hurts worse than the wound of someone you've trusted. That pain is so difficult to get over. But can I tell you something? You have to get over it. If you do not get over it, you will live in a prison of your own mind for the rest of your life. And you will always have a limitation on everything that you do because you will get so far and your pain will stop you. You have to move beyond it. He also had to deal with false accusations. The Potiphar's wife, he was working for Potiphar, Casted longing eyes. That's what King James says, longing eyes. We don't say it anymore. We would say, she thought he was fine. Because he was fine, she wanted some fine. And she, he wasn't going to give her what she wanted. And so she lied on him. Anybody ever been lied on? Have you ever been falsely accused? Does anything feel any worse than that? I mean, falsely accused makes, okay, can I just confess? It makes me angry. When somebody tells something that is a lie on me and I know it wasn't true and then I, don't, I have no way of defending myself. I know I'm the only one in the room that's ever felt like that before. It's so, it makes you so angry, but I can't leave it there. I can't stay there. I can't allow it to become a part of who I am. I cannot own that. I have to move beyond it. And nothing hurts like false accusation, the betrayals of people that you trusted, friends. The offense of also suffering the consequences of what someone else did. Now he is in a prison because of what she did and he has done nothing. Anybody had to live in the consequences of what somebody else did? And you were the innocent party in the whole thing but you had to live in the consequences. I can't imagine that pain, but don't own it. Don't own it. Don't let it be a part of you for the rest of your life. You have to move through that. And, and the other thing that happens is when we get filled with pain is we want to play the blame game. I mean, after all, if I have someone to blame, I don't have to deal with myself, right? If it's your fault, I don't have to deal with what I did wrong. So that's, that's the easiest thing to do is just blame somebody else. And now I get myself off the hook. And so we blame, we usually start off by blaming God. And then we blame our parents, poor old parents. Man, don't they get it all. 
It's like, well, if the kid's messed up, it must be the parents. You know, if they make bad, it must have been. And then the parents feel guilty. I mean, I'm, I am a parent. And if my kids make a choice, I'm thinking, oh, man, I just didn't do enough. I just didn't say enough. I didn't raise, I didn't lay hands on them. Listen, that's all a lie. I put more, I put enough oil on my kid's head to crank a bus. I'm telling you, they are the oldest kids in their school. I drove them to school every day of their life, even up into high school. And I prayed for them in the back seat and spoke in tongues over them all the way to the school. My kids begged to ride the bus. They never got to because I was going to pray for them. I did it and they hated it, but I did it anyway. It's like, no, no, no. You are not going to school without being prayed for. And I, one of the prayers I would always pray is, God, take the wrong people out of their life and put the right people in their life. And my, my, my youngest daughter one day, she's in junior high, which is a tough time anyway. She said, Dad, can you just leave that part out of the prayer? She said, I've been eating by myself in the lunchroom. I just need to, I'm just tired of that. Isn't there anybody in the junior high worthy for me to eat lunch with? Because you're praying them all out of my life. I said, honey, I'm sorry about that, but I'd rather you eat by yourself for the rest of your life than somebody get in your business and speak the wrong things into your life and pull you down the wrong tube. I would rather you, if it takes loneliness to get through it, I don't want that for you, but I'd rather have that than you hanging out with the wrong crowd and being influenced. I'm telling you, the blame game is easy to just shift the blame. It must be God. He could have stopped it anyway, right? It must be my parents. You know what? Let me just give you some good advice. And this is not from God. This is just from Brian. Blame your ex. Just blame your ex. Just blame your ex. You got an ex out there somewhere. Just blame them. They deserve it anyway, and you know it. Quit blaming everybody else. Just blame your ex, all right? One of these days, you'll get my humor. We blame our boss. We blame our friends. We blame everybody because it's easier to blame than to forgive. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.